welcome to episode 425 of the Pop Culture Roundtable, the podcast that's throwing curveballs and getting greats. In this episode, we talk about Pokemon Go Fest, Old, and Crime Scene Kitchen. I'm Andrew Sale. I'm Patrick Hill. So stock up on berries and get those raid passes ready, because it's time to catch them all. Do the curve throw. kick off every episode by going around the table, which is where we talk about new things that are fun and noteworthy about our week. Uh, and uh, today, it's not really around the table. It's just back and forth across the table, because it's just Patrick and I. Yeah, a little, a little ping pong. back and forth. The old banter table. We might we might break out some uh, Waldorf and uh, Astoria. <laughs> yeah, there Waldorf we Astoria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the classic Muppet characters, Waldorf Astoria. <laughs> But, I mean, we'll see. All right. But for the oh. most part, it's just us. Yeah, yeah, it's just us. So, Patrick, why don't you just tell me what you were doing this week? Heist on Netflix. Okay, this is a uh, a new show. I don't know. What would you call it? It's only six episodes, but it's know. three stories. Each, uh, each story is like two parts, but they're very high production value. Uh, it's a combination of real person interviews and recreation but the recreation is um tv show or like indie film level like recreation it's it's very well done it, it definitely has a style to it you know they reference who the director is for each part so it, it's meant to be uh, a a bit more than just the late night discovery crime show yeah. and it's it's three big heists uh one of the heists is about a uh, 21 uh 21 year old girl and her partner that managed to steal like three million dollars from an armored truck uh the second heist is about a uh a guy that had worked for a uh, distillery for 25 years or 30 years and managed to uh take off with something like 200 bottles of this incredibly expensive whiskey it's a whiskey that sells for like five thousand dollars a bottle plus like several barrels as well Mm. um it ended up being like hundreds of thousands of dollars of money worth of just whiskey uh and it it was a several different kinds and if you like whiskey they'll all be kinds that are familiar to you uh and then the the third heist uh dealt with a group it it wasn't an armored truck but basically these large shipments of money would come in to the United States and they would have to get broken out off of pallets to get put into trucks to be taken to places and where that sorting was happen uh, happening they managed to steal a couple million dollars uh in broad daylight uh from an airport so uh it's three big heists again <laughs> I can't hear people. that phrase without hearing he took my CD in broad daylight and he scratched it What's you know that I'm from? About? That's from uh The Ringer with Johnny Knoxville I haven't. I was in high school. I think when that movie came out, so it's been a minute. You took my CD in broad daylight and you scratched it. Uh, I thought you were quoting me from some point. So anyway, three stories. You really need to watch them to see how they turn out. Surprisingly emotional. Very, very human because your every interview is with the person that did it. They're the primary focus. They're the ones that are giving the interview, 
and to get to understand um it's a very empathetic show now it's possible that these shows are obviously like spinning people in too good of a light. Like it's possible that, that, that these like three little mini stories are, are maybe being a little bit disingenuous with some of it. It is still very interesting to hear the human motivations, hear the outcome and then hear the consequences to people's families, friends, etc. cetera. Uh, it, it, I found it to be uh, to, to tug on me a little bit, uh, which is always a good thing. So uh, heist on Netflix again, Three stories, six parts. Each part is uh, probably a little bit over an hour long. Very well done. Uh, it, it, one one note real quick. Uh, a bit of nudity, especially in the first episode. Like, Well, that's how they get you. That's the, I mean, that's the I, hook them episode. Just, not just like half of a butt, but I'm saying like, you for sure got boobs. And there's even some like maybe crotch grazes every now and then. Was not expecting grazes. <laughs> like you know what I'm grazing saying? your like, crotch. I don't know. <laughs> I graze my own crotch. Thank oh, you. I see. I see. No, I'm just saying, like, because you're I, when you start watching something like this, you think of it in terms of like these other mystery heist shows that came before it, and so you're thinking in terms of history and Discovery Channel and like that type of age appropriateness. It's yes. not. It's actually pretty adult. So okay. the first one. And it doesn't happen to like three quarters of the way through, and it really threw me off guard. Of like, what is this? Like, where the like happy surprise? But yeah, um, the point is, if you do go to watch this, just keep in mind there shouldn't be children around, and uh, that may uh, affect who you recommend it to. Gotcha. But that's heist on Netflix. Uh, and beyond that, Andrew and I, we both participated in a weekend event. Why don't you tell people what we did? Yeah, so we did. Uh, we did Pokemon Go Fest. Uh, <clears throat> I've been talking about the last couple weeks, and since that point, Patrick, you have picked it back up after five years of not touching it. Um, In a big way. <clears throat> yeah, and so uh, we this past weekend was the, the event, and so it was a Saturday and Sunday uh, event where they had different things happening on both days. On Saturday, uh, Cooper and I went to Austin where they had a live event. And um, while we were there, there were, I mean, thousands and thousands of people uh, at this event. And they were spread out all over the city. There were four hubs. And when you got to a hub, they had this big information tent. And when you got there, um, they gave you this card. I don't know if you can see that, Patrick, with the official art on it. This uh, Pikachu hat that you can wear in game, so like you fold it, it's like a paper hat. Uh, but it's like you, a version of the one that you get in game, right? The one which in is ga- awesome. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you got the Pokemon Go Fest uh, ticket, then you had access to that apparel, and then uh, they gave you one of these, which was really cool. So uh, one side, it's this like fan, like this. Uh, you it know, looks like, like a church fan. It yeah, looks like, it looks like, like an old the- school. Yeah. Old school, you wave yourself, you know, to to keep uh, while the while the preacher's been going for two and a half hours. It's like that, um, but on on one side it says looking for, and you could write down. It has all these lines. You could write down what you were looking for, what Pokemon you were looking for, and on the other side it says willing to trade, and you could write the Pokemon that you were willing to trade. So people were walking around ca- carrying these, holding them up, or they'd put them in their backpack while they walked around, so you could see them. Um, or if they were sitting at a table, they would kind of sit it down so people could see. It was a really cool, uh, a really cool event. Totally safe um, because obviously it was outdoors. Uh, but beyond that, like uh, like 
I was impressed and surprised by the the demographics that were out there. And Cooper even mentioned this as an 11 year old. He noticed he was surprised at how many like there were lots of elderly people out there playing. Not like like a grandpa taking his grandson out and he's just standing there while he's no like on their own sitting there with their battery pack and uh, all set up and hooked up doing their you know their curveballs throwing stuff and whatever like totally into it we re- we met this guy Ron who we ended up hanging out with for about four hours who was a super nice guy super like super into it he's like high high level the highest level you can be at is 50 and I think he was 47 um and he gave us all sorts of tips and tricks that we didn't even know about uh and just super nice the community was really really cool people would come up and, and introduce themselves and you could get you know you could exchange your friend codes and and trade with them and all sorts of stuff so the way that they did it they had these uh different challenges that you had to do where where different pokemon popped up at different times during the day and it was based I on I finished 3 of them by the way you did nice i finished um, 3 of the 4 because the second day they released all those Pokemon so that you could, so that you could finish it up, right? Did you realize that? Yeah. If, well, if you would drop an incense, like you, you were getting some of all of them. Yes. But I just because I never experienced the cave habitat on day one, I was I managed to get like half of them, Most but I was them. just too far behind. Yeah. yeah. So that's the thing. So the different habitats each uh, each hour for four hours there was a different habitat: a cave habitat, a lava habitat, a uh, waterfront habitat and there was one a jungle, jungle habitat and then specific pokemon would come out and during those times you were supposed to try to catch a list of pokemon that were like designated on that list to complete the different challenges and unlock different things throughout the day um and then that cycled through again so it was an eight hour event on saturday so you got through all of the habitats twice and then there were these global challenges which was cool it was like one of the global challenges was catch 10 million Pokemon. And so every time you caught one, it was contributing to the global event. And once that global event was achieved, or once that global challenge was achieved, it would unlock these bonuses that would happen for the remainder of that hour. So it was really, really cool. It was like a, a really neat uh, community event. Uh, the next day was a raid day where they just did all these legendary Pokemon that never pop up um, and they put them all in these raids and you could battle with people. And uh, we went down to the Pearl for that. And it was just a really cool, a really cool thing. Patrick, you commented on how well, um, on, on how well things were run with that and how, how good of a, of a value you thought it was on Saturday, right? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I didn't go. So basically I think you said this, it, they had it in however many dozen cities, but you could buy a ticket and be anywhere. And I, I didn't make it up to Austin. I didn't go to the city. But I bought the ticket. And they were very good about uh, inside the app. Once the time started for that day, the beginning of that eight-hour window, the music changed in the app. There was a background animation, that like little confetti music note stuff started mm-hmm. in the app. So like you felt like something's going on. You were getting updates it, it the GoFest logo showed up in the bottom right corner. You're getting updates throughout the day, so I got to sit there and participate, even being from home. And because they were global challenges, I wasn't missing out on anything because I could do everything that Andrew and Cooper could do from my house. Yeah, uh, except then, like the photo ops and like the those. I didn't get the things, I didn't yeah. get the hat. Yeah, but uh, obviously there was a benefit to being in person. Right. <laughs> There's of course a benefit, but. From just an app standpoint and like how you progress in the game, 
I didn't miss out on anything. And same thing for the next day. The the next day when things started, you know, the music changes, the background changes, you get a logo, it starts giving you more updates, and you feel like, oh, something is going on right now, and I'm getting to experience it, and it's different. Uh, so, um, yeah, it was a, it was a, a very, very uh, cool thing. I, I really wish I, I could I could have been there. But ultimately, they did a great job with it. And I don't know if this is a yearly thing. I don't know if this is special because this is specifically the five-year. But I would love to participate in it again. Yeah. The fact that it was only $5 was, was great. It's typically 15 And I still think even 15 is a good value if you're going to participate. If you're going to like actually take time out of, the, out of your two days to actually participate, the value you get, like even the raid passes alone, is probably a twenty or thirty dollar value when you consider all that goes into what they give you for being a part of the event. Well, consider the value that we got out of that five dollars versus the value we got out of the five dollars for the movie tickets we just bought. Right, that we will talk about. Yeah, like that's that's the thing, right? Like the value can shift like pretty severely. So I'm saying next year when they do it again and it's $15 again, I think I'm still in for $15. Cooper and I easily had $30 worth of fun over the weekend in time connecting and stories and things to share. You probably, you two probably invested 10 to 12 hours a piece into it over the two days. Uh, we invested, yeah, uh, probably, yeah, probably 12 to 12 to 15. Yeah. Oh, because we were doing it outside of it. I wasn't there, and I still probably put in 10 hours yeah. <laughs> over two days. So it's certainly worth the money. Since coming back, by the way, I have realized, so my neighborhood's new. My streets aren't mapped. But Pokemon Go is fed by something called OpenStreetMap. It's OpenStreetMap.org. Uh, and, in fact, there's a lot of services that are fed by this map. And it's completely, um, like... Uh, it's almost like a wikipedia of maps like it's a volunteer <laughs> contributed to edited etc of course you have people that go through and approve changes or verify changes but i've gone through and started adding my neighborhood uh to open street map so hopefully in the future when pokemon go pulls it uh there will be roads i won't be standing in a field and maybe because there's roads they'll actually be pokemon but uh i uh it's uh, it's pretty fun i mean it's one of those things that if you're sitting in a chair at night and you kind of want a hobby to do, uh, a way to kind of uh, spend some time, pull up OpenStreetMap, pull up your local neighborhood or your local town, see what's missing and, and add it in. It's I, I found it to be very enjoyable. Yeah, it, it, uh, I, I haven't looked into that portion of it yet. I typically am places that have existed for longer than three months, so they're already on the map. Uh, but I did notice when I was at your house the other day that I was when I pulled up Pokemon Go, I was just in a green field and nothing was around me. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Um, all right. One other thing that I want to mention before we move to our, our categories, uh, you were talking about a Netflix film or a Netflix short series. Um, there's a new series that's coming out today. If you're listening to this on release day, it's called Sexy Beasts. Have you heard of this show, Patrick? It is Tell me about it, a dating show. I Okay, I've seen the trailer for it, and I found the trailer uh, surprisingly enticing once I had seen the whole thing. Sure, yeah, and when you know what it is. I had no idea what it was, and then I watched the trailer. So Sexy Beast is taking the classic dating genre TV show and kind of flipping it on its head. So it's, it's giving the whole idea of a blind date uh, – a totally different spin 
they're taking pe- real people, real single people who are really looking to find their their mate or their partner, and and they're putting them on dates, pairing them on dates. But rather than just letting them go on dates and meeting each other for the first time, they're meeting each other for the first time, having these dates, having these interactions. But the whole time, they're wearing full face, ma- like uh, like Hollywood level full facial makeup and prosthetics. Um, and so they don't really know what that person actually looks like. And if they develop a connection, then the connection is obviously not not built around what that person looks like or they're, you know. Uh, and so I'm really intrigued. I'm for sure going to watch at least an episode or two to see what this is like. Uh, watching the trailer, watching the clip, there was a clip where a guy looked like a stone, like a Greek, uh, like a Greco-Roman like statue. Uh, and then the woman, her face was was done up like Satan, <laughs> and so and they were getting a pedicure together. So they're both there getting their feet worked on. They're in these bathrobes, and then their faces were completely covered. One to look like stone with like this big sculpted beard and sculpted hair, and then the other one to have like these really pronounced uh, cheekbones and jawline, and then horns coming out of her head, and like the full prosthetic. Um, and so really interesting so we'll see what uh what that what that's like maybe we'll do a Wait, recap have you not next week. seen any of it it comes out it comes out today on release day so it's i haven't seen it prior to record i i just i love this first quote from an article in the guardian ass first personality second says a deadpan beaver at a bar <laughs> <laughs> I'm hooked already. Like I, I'm, I'm in. I'm in for whatever that is. I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited for it. I, I just, there, there's one part of me that says this sounds like the worst timeline we could possibly be in from a television standpoint. <laughs> yeah. And there's another part of me that that thinks this might be some level of absolute genius. Well, you're. This is coming from a standpoint where you're, you're, you're valuing. If you take that first line of of logic right? That we're in the worst possible timeline. You have to also throw into that, that, that like luxury sailing show that you watch (laughs) where it's a reality show based around people who work on luxury yacht, uh, luxury yachts, right? Yeah, Yeah. I get it. I understand for sure. It's, it is, it's all the same thing in my mind. Love Island, uh, just all these, I mean, even the challenge to some extent, like is, Although the challenge is a little I bit different. I think the but. ones that deal with, with love and intimacy, I think, are dirtier than the ones that just deal with physical or, like, social prowess. Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure they're so dirtier. I, yeah, I I'm would, not, that's not a I question. I would split those. I, I think the one is almost more exploitative or it's I, – I don't actually like those. I, I, I would prefer the – You like the competition. I, like, yeah, I think when there's a competition, great. I think that, ad, that adds a different level to it. So – Anyway, it's a like legitimate physical competition. Yes. Uh, All right. So uh, sexy beasts. We'll let you know how how that is next week. Um, All right. That's it for our around the table or back and forth. Up next, master categories. Each week we talk about the dice we rolled the week before. That gives us our categories. We pick our topics based on those categories. Uh, Patrick, we'll end on you because we have a discussion to have. So let me just keep rolling. Oh, I, uh, do we? <laughs> I, I have, uh, so I rolled food last week, and here's what I want to talk about. Um, there's this new show on 
Fox. It's been out for a couple of weeks. It's still going, though. Uh, and that show is called Crime Scene Kitchen. Crime Scene Kitchen is a reality competition show uh, based on cooking that, you know, you, you've, you've seen a thousand of these before. What makes this one different and unique and fun is that rather than just judges giving them a challenge and then they have to, like, here's three ingredients, you have to make a, a five-star dish or whatever, like a Michelin star style, whatever. Like, no, it has nothing to do with that. What they do is there is a crime scene kitchen, thus the name, where they give uh, each pair, so the, the contestants are in pairs, they give each pair two minutes or three minutes to investigate this crime scene, uh, and it's a kitchen where something has been made, but you have no idea what it is or how to make it or whatever. You're supposed to look at the evidence around this kitchen and put it together. So, like, you might find a whisk in the the drying rack. Or you might find a knife on the edge of the, the counter with a little bit of buttercream frosting on it. You have to, you have to actually taste the knife to, to know that it's buttercream frosting. You might see that there's ingredients in the refrigerator. You might see that there's spices on the spice rack, and one of them is slightly askew, or the lid isn't fully back on. Or you'll see a couple of crumbs or parchment paper on the countertop. Or you'll see stuff in the trash with a note card with something scribbled on it. Or even... On the refrigerator, there might, or on 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 the uh, not the refrigerator on the cork board, they might have yeah. like ideas pinned on there and different clues. A clue might be something that just says like fall, uh, summer, spring, whatever. Um, what's the other one? Seasons. Winter. Winter. There we go. And each one has like <laughs> a little like drawing or sketch of something, and then you have to find somewhere else in the room that would indicate oh, th- we're going after the winter theme, which might mean we have to imitate this drawing or use the color palette that's there or whatever. And it's really, really interesting. If you're into escape rooms, uh, it feels a little bit like that. And so the, the couple, the, the pair has to decide, oh, be- based on these ingredients or based on the the cake pans or the number of, of cake, the cake sheets that are in the, the, the dryer or that are in the sink or whatever, uh, here's what I think we need to make. And then they make, they have an hour and a half or two hours to make whatever it is they think it is. They then present it to the judges. The judges eat it. They judge it based on what they make. And then once everybody is done, they show everybody what the actual, uh, what the actual um, product or the, the, the food that they made. And it's all like baked goods. What the baked good is that they were supposed to be imitating, and then they tell them, here's how you were supposed to have gotten to that. It is a very interesting approach to a show. Um, one of the judges is Curtis Stone. You're familiar with Curtis Stone, right? He's the Australian, uh, like, famous Australian chef. He's he's had his own TV show, multiple TV shows. Sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he did the one where, like, uh, if I remember right, he would like uh, run into someone at the supermarket and yes. go cook in their kitchen or He'd whatever. He'd buy their groceries and then take it home and, and cook yeah. in their kitchen. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the, my favorite part about the show is that it's hosted by Joel McHale. <laughs> and he brings all the things that Joel McHale is and brings to, to that role. The soup. Yeah. To the, yeah, the soup. They also bring in uh, these guest judges 
uh, from time to time. I know they've had uh, Kelly Osborne on. They've had Ken Jung. So he's the um, he's if you watched Community, he's the the Asian guy who was the teacher and then becomes a student. And if you know that whole Community arc, um, and uh, among a whole bunch of other people. Uh, but it's a it's a really really fun show. It's really interesting to see what people do. Uh, like how they derive these clues and like the clues can be really, really hard. Like for instance, I said that you can look in the refrigerator and see ingredients. Well, part of the thing is looking at ingredients and seeing, Oh, this, Oh, there's eggs and there's sour cream and there's baking soda. Um, but the baking soda and the eggs haven't been opened or the sour. So, you know, they haven't been used if you were to look at that um, or the you look at the sour cream but the expiration date is past so like so that clearly wasn't used so you have to be really really intentional and you only get like two or three minutes inside the crime scene kitchen to figure out what it is you're supposed to be doing uh, and then you just have to go make it and hope that it, hope that hope that you're right so um it's really cool i i think you would i think you would enjoy it patrick i think you would enjoy the fun of trying to figure out what it is because you've watched enough baking shows to have some degree of knowledge about this, even though you yourself don't bake, like I don't bake, but I've watched enough of uh, the Great British Baking Show to know what some of these things are. So sure. like I yeah, could yeah. see it and be like, oh, that's a decoit, or oh, that's gonna be uh, a sponge cake, or oh, that's gonna be some sort of tart. Like I I can figure that out as just a baseline. Like I've watched enough of these shows. I'll watch so. it. I mean, it, like you've sold me on it completely. Yeah. Plus Joel McHale and the sarcasm that he brings, I'm all I'm all in for it. So uh, we're about halfway through the show, maybe a little bit past half. Uh, so you can still get caught up and then watch it on Hulu. That's where I've been watching it, um, and there's still a few episodes left before the finale. So um, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna call that done for my category. Patrick, why don't you uh, tell everybody how we're gonna close this episode out? Oh, we're going to make some hot cakes. And by hot cakes, I mean some hot takes. Um, because we have just seen a film, and we're early. Uh, we're more early than it's going to be by the time you hear it. But basically, the new uh, M. Night Shyamalan, or as we've come to know him, M. Night Shulman, film <laughs> comes out on Thursday of this week. And we got a chance to see it on Monday night. So we've just seen it. We've got to stew on it a little bit, and now we're going to drop a review for you. We even so waited know. a day to record when we normally would record so that we could actively talk about this film. Yeah, and, and just so, A, you could know we got early access. Yes. <laughs> but, B, we could help you make a good decision this weekend. So, let, let me say this real quick. Um, this review will have spoilers, 100%. And I don't, there's not a way to separate it. So if you're concerned for some reason about spoilers, you may not want to listen to this. Uh, before you run away, just know that I don't know that we can spoil much more than you see in the trailer already. Right. But there will be a couple of things. And also, before you run too far away, just uh, I do want to preface all this by saying this is a movie I don't recommend. Yes. So all of that now said. Both of us, this is a movie we would actively tell you, don't use your money for. Don't spend your money on Yes. But that's that's the hot take because not everyone feels this way. So there's my little statement on it. If you don't want spoilers for any reason, go ahead and leave. You're basically done with this episode. Follow us on all our places. Leave us a rating and review. We love you. Yeah. Bye-bye. We'll, we'll see okay. you uh, at the Loki after the show.
at the Loki after the show. Okay, yeah. so old M. Night Shyamalan, new film, hour, 48 minutes in length. Might as well have been four. Uh, but what this film is about, uh, what we see in the trailers is it's a group of people. They're on a beach. Obviously, something is making them older. They're very clear to let us know that. We don't know what's going on. We see frightened people. It's got a, a bit of a thriller vibe. Actually, coming out of uh, a season of uh, a few Ari Aster films, it has a it, it has a bit of the tone of something like Midsommar once you see the trailer. And so you know that this is going to be a thriller. We assume there's going to be some type of large twist in it. Uh, and that said, this is all based on a book called Sandcastle uh, by mm. Pierre Oscar Levy. So this isn't an original story by M. Night Shyamalan. A lot of his stories are. But this is actually based on another story uh, called Sandcastle. And uh, it, that's basically all we know going into that. Uh, going into this is there's a thriller. There's a mystery. People get older. Dear God. So, Andrew, before we get into our back and forth, I want to give you a little bit more context on two sides. One about Sandcastle and the other about what a few other people are saying about the film. Okay. So the first, I've I've tried as much as I can to read a bit, because you and I didn't know it was based on a book when we, t- when we saw it last night. I know nothing about the film other than that I saw it. Right. That, and, okay. and that I, you know, my feelings about it. I don't ha- I haven't done any research. So Sandcastle is uh, is from the overviews and the synopsis that I've read is fairly similar. Um, a, a couple notes I want to make. Sandcastle does not have an ending. Okay. okay. S- Sandcastle ends on the beach. That's where it ends. It doesn't go anywhere else. Uh, it actually I mean, there's no resolve. It ends with someone building a sandcastle. That's where it ends. Um, okay. And it's that makes and sense. it's a bit of you know. I am assuming it's a bit of a a comment on like these ever shifting sands of time sure. uh, and the shore and the fu- washing the in fu- and out. Right, the futility of it all because you're gonna build this castle, but in just a few minutes it's gonna get destroyed by water. Yeah. yeah. So th- so that's how Sandcastle ends. Sandcastle doesn't go anywhere else, and it's interesting because last night I said that would have been a good place to end it. You did but say that. Yeah. That is actually where the book ends. Uh, another note: uh, the guy that we see at the beginning with the nosebleeds. Uh, he's referred to as the Algerian, and he apparently has a wife. And I I point that out uh, real quick to say that um, we're led to believe he's on the beach for a decent amount of time before those uh, – or some amount of time before the other people arrive. Yes. And yet he has a wife, so he wouldn't have started as a child when he got there. So his aging is a little odd when you take details from the book and place it in context of the film. Uh, also the way the book plays out, some people speculate that he's involved with what's happening or maybe what's happening. Like this is the, one of the early times that it's happened. Um, and there's some other things there's, I, there are a couple things I won't tell you in this cause I don't want to get like too detailed spoilery, but there are a couple characters whose stories play out a little bit differently, um, in the book versus the film. But I think those are the, the big differences is the, the stuff ends on the film. The pregnancy does happen in Sandcastle the the racism the the uh, those kind of couples the all that stuff still happens in the book um but again it, it plays out slightly differently there is for sure less context given so one of the notes i read when i was reading the synopsis two people were trying to figure out how the girl drowned but in the movie they explicitly tell us they show you. pretty yeah. out loud <laughs> and we're going to circle back to that in a second uh the only and by pretty take- out loud you mean 
definitively out loud. They explain it, it, what happens. Explicitly yes. tell us. Okay. With words. So there's a little bit of context. Now, the only other thing is I do want to say that uh, Sci-Fi has, which, by the way, pretty cool website. Uh, I, there's someone I followed for a little bit uh, now. But Sci-Fi posted something less than an hour ago uh, with um, a couple of early reviews from, again, the preview last night. As of today, the review embargo is still not lifted. So review embargo with a film, they'll actually say, hey, you can see the film. We might give you an early screening, but you can't post a review until after this day and after this time. And they they coordinate when that's allowed to happen. It, it prevents some people from beating other people to the punch. But in the case of a bad movie, it prevents a bunch of bad publicity getting out there before too, people buy yeah, tickets. Too close to the ticket time, yeah. So when a review embargo is still not lifted and the movie comes out in less than 48 hours, which is the situation we're in right now, that is a sign. That is a sign that someone knows Signs. it's not going to be a good film. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Nice. Um, so already I can tell you that we're not going to be the only ones that feel this way. However, Sci-Fi did post early reactions. I'm surprised to see this without reviews being submitted. But in their early reactions, they begged the question, is this the scariest beach movie since Jaws? Then one of the writers describes it as the best movie Knight has had since Unbreakable, calls it intense, unrelenting thriller, and then says it's made with sadistic glee and surprising emotion. And then there's three more There was tweets. surprising emotion. I will say that. I know. There's three more tweets that are pinned on here that one saying that old was good, like surprisingly good. Another one saying that... Um, that no other living filmmaker would be caught dead directing it and that they loved it, although half of that statement is true. <laughs> and then the last one uh, says, it's the strangest thing I've ever seen. Totally here for it. This guy doesn't see very many films. No. Okay. So um, th- this has been positive reaction. Um, again, surprised that that slipped by, even though the uh, review embargo clearly hasn't lifted. But let's go ahead and jump into it. Um I know my comments, but I've already been talking for a few minutes, giving all this context and uh, context and setup. Andrew, how do you feel about the film? I believe that this is the worst movie I've seen in 20 years. And you what? You literally said that within within like three minutes. We hadn't got to the car yet. Yes. Within three minutes of leaving the theater, you said in 20 to 25 years. Yeah. Uh, so I was not a fan of the movie The Island of Dr. Moreau with, um, uh, oh gosh, what the heck is his name? Uh, Dr. Moreau. Yeah, but whatever. Um, I can't remember the actor's name. Like, classic actor, and I'm totally blanking on who he is. But The Island of Dr. Moreau, uh, it was critically acclaimed, and lots of people were talking about it. And it was, like, very strange. And I think, it, you know, all these different things that I remember. I remember watching it with my dad, and... Uh, and that was many years before I went off to college. Marlon Brando. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was many years before I went off to college. And then, yeah, it's so it's been 20 or more years since I've seen that movie. And I hated that movie. This is the, this is the first time I've had such a, a, an intrinsic negative reaction to a movie since that point. Um, and it, it's because, uh, like Patrick said, they spoon feed everything. There is no room for uh, for you to 
to wonder or be inquisitive or speculate or theorize. There's no room for any of that because the second something happens on screen, within a few minutes, they're telling you exactly why it happened. With words, not even just actions that you're supposed to interpret or like using your brain as a as a functioning human person who who socializes in common society. No, no, no. They take all of that away and they say, here's why what you just saw happened. Here's what's happening in this situation. It's like when you're playing the first level of a video game and they're trying to take you to do the tutorial, but they want to do it in a natural way. So then it's like, maybe you should pick up that gun sitting on that bench. Yes. Yeah. Uh, But that's what the dialogue was for the entirety of the film. Within, Within 30 to 60 seconds of the movie, the mom, uh, the movie primarily centers around one family, and then there's secondary characters um, after that. Uh, and the that family, they're in a car, and within the first 30 to 60 seconds, two times uh, uh, she's talking to her daughter, and she says something to the effect of, don't grow up too fast, and don't... Uh, don't uh, something like that, and she reiterates. Well, they a tells the t- kid like you can do that when you're older. Yes, you can do and that when tells you're older. Tells the other one to to basically don't let life pass you by. Exactly, all these things. And the thing is, everyone who's going to this movie has already seen the trailer. They know what's going to happen. And so, in our audience, there were two reactions. One was my reaction, and then the other was like ninety percent of the rest of the audience. My reaction was a big eye roll because you're being way too forth, like you're you're being way too like so breaking, on the nose. Yeah, too on the nose. And the other reaction people were having, they were laughing. They're like actively chuckling out loud, laughing thinking that this is like a comedy, like we're all in on the joke, like that kind of thing. But the tone of the movie, nothing about, nothing about the, this is going to sound weird, nothing about the movie other than the dialogue would imply that this movie is meant to be a comedy. <laughs> everything no, it, about how the movie is shot, everything about how the, the, the soundtrack to the movie, everything about like the tone uh, of it, all points to it being a thriller, all points to being like, borderline thriller to horror movie except the dialogue because the dialogue is so ridiculous it's like uh when you have a movie with like an obscure title somehow and then at some point in the movie the title gets said during a sentence exactly and then then they look at the camera they said it they said it it. there (laughs) was yes and the amount of those like little winks that were happening but they weren't like subtle they were like both it's just blinking it was just blinking. Oh, it's, they, um, they turn f- like it's 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 one step away from them turning, looking at the camera, and saying, "This is what I'm getting ready to do." Like it's it's so absurd. They and, they greet they greeted them off the bus with the whole like uh, something you'll remember for your lifetime or the yeah, rest of your life. Exactly. Or like, it's they and and again, it's fine to have a couple little like nudges, but they they they're not nudges. And so, mm-hmm. because of that, people were laughing. People were laughing in the theater because it was so on the nose. Um, and then con- continuing that, there was I I told you this. There there were a couple parts where, when that was happening early on with the adults, it was eye roll. But it happened with the children a couple time. Uh, times that happened uh it, one way for you to get to know people the kids were running around going uh what's your what's your name and occupation 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and at first I thought like, oh, that that's a kind of hilarious way to to get some of this out of the way very quickly. And it's a it's a bit of a wink, but you get away with it because it's children. And and I, I thought that was a, a, a funny way to go about that of, of, again, just letting us know about people without having to tell us everything or, or without having to take the time for us to learn these backstories. Uh, but the problem is it just continues the entire film. Every action that's taken either the person taking the action or the person that's uh, that's beside the action explains to you why. Nothing is left for you to figure out. You know, I referenced uh, Ari Aster uh, Mids- Midsommar. Mm-hmm. In that film, it doesn't matter if you liked it or not. We're, we're split on it uh, even as a group. But one thing we can agree on is there was a lot to talk about at the, uh, uh, concerning that film. There yeah. was a lot of trying to, like, dissect well, why did this happen? Or why did this happen? Or why do you think this person did this? Or what did this mean? Or why this phrase or this drawing? There were just so many little details that you could argue or talk about or or figure out together. And the problem with this film is because you're spoon-fed every moment of the way, there's no dialogue to be had when you leave the theater. Anything, like you didn't miss anything because you were told everything that was happening every second of the way, which is the reason that when I uh, read some of the synopsis on the book and read some of the the discussion around it, it was interesting to me that people were having discussion around it because that means the book is clearly not giving everything away. But in the context of the film, we were still spoon-fed that. So um, there were some other frustrating bits as well. Like there were some CG elements that were just bad. I mean, they were just incredible. incredible that it was so poorly done when we live in a time where the technology to accomplish it is so readily available right that there's probably like a 22 year old that could have done a better job on their iphone on it (laughs) (laughs) like yeah very not good so there were some elements of that the dialogue is is ham-fisted um the performances there were uh, the kids probably had the best performances uh, but all the parents, the, those performances were, were very tough and they were very rigid. And there's people that you would recognize. There, there are actors that you would recognize from various things. The dialogue is what diminishes this. And the, the characters aren't playing characters, or the actors aren't playing characters. They're playing caricatures of different kinds of people. They're playing extremes, but not in like a... If, if, if there is intended to be an artistic nod or like a moral or something like that that we're supposed to pick up on, totally lost on me and you. It just felt like it just felt like bad writing. <laughs> like like they were yeah. asked to execute poor dialogue. Yeah. Even so like to the point there was like a scary there were some scary moments that are intended to be like grotesque and twisted. And two things. One, they made this movie PG thirteen so that it would have a more of a wide uh, access, but because they did that, they end up implying a lot of this grotesque stuff without actually showing it, and that hurts the film. Uh, it would have been better if it was rated R, and you could see more, and they talked less. <laughs> like that would be, it would be a much Completely. better film. It, and then the other thing is, some of like the the more twisted, uh, pun intended, when you see the movie uh, scenes where they're supposed to be very very terrifying. People in the audience were cracking up because of how ridiculous the rest of the movie had been. The tone was totally off. And it yeah. and it was just so like so disjointed from what I think he was intended Pun to. intended. Yes. <laughs> like the the deal is that the scenes could have been shocking if 
there had been that rising tension throughout the entire film. Right. But because everything felt like a joke and a wink and a whatever, uh, or it was just poorly handled because of the dialogue, by the time you get to those more what should be twisted moments, people just are laughing. Like we're fu- it's fully funny at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, the the outside of that, the the two other things I want to note, one is just the the depth of the film. So with this film, you're dealing with a place that when you're there, you age a year every 30 minutes. That's basically what it is. Uh, by the way, props to all the, the makeup uh, people. I think they did a great yes. job. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that. That's great. Okay, there's a premise. Simple enough. You're on this place. You age every 30 minutes. You can't escape. What do you do? That is. So for the person who said the thing about this being the scariest movie since Jaws, thematically, I agree. That is a terrifying thought to be stuck on a beach where you are aging at a rate that you can't help. That is a terrifying thought. Yeah. So I just want to say I agree with that. You'll be dead in the next day, for sure. Yeah, you know for sure within 24 hours you will be dead. And you will feel all the effects of it. (laughs) Yeah. What what to me makes that compelling is if you – if there's someone, right, because there's several families, if someone you can pinpoint and go, that's how I would react. Right, so maybe you have eight people acting eight different ways, but you can pick someone out of that lineup and go, "Oh gosh, I I, I don't know what I would do, but I think that's exactly what I would do." That feels but realistic. Prob- yeah, and, and that's to me, that's what really makes these films uh, compelling. That's what really builds this uh, tension you need in order for these moments later on. But the issue is, like Andrew stated, with people feeling a bit like caricatures, there was really nobody that you could point at and say oh that fits me and because of that you can't be empathetic but you're also not going to feel the same uh uh, tension or dread or those other emotions they're feeling because you're not in their shoes so the the from a writing standpoint and yes maybe it's based off the book and maybe this isn't uh m night shulman's fault uh but i do find it very um kind of shallow and poorly thought through i mean m night shallow man yeah, we discussed last night that this felt more like the uh, the result of a senior thesis from someone in college as a yeah. as opposed to an accomplished uh, writer and director. Uh, the The last thing I'll say in regards to the book having no ending and this film having an ending, I um, is one of two things happen. Either one. I normally would say A, but that doesn't make sense to say two things and go to A. Yeah, it's like sure. Yeah, I feel like it's two things you start with one. Yeah, the first thing that could have happened is uh, the 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 desire for mass appeal, the idea that no, we do need an ending. Things need to resolve. Audiences want to feel that that somehow that's going to resonate better, and uh, maybe you'll get more ticket sales or more people encouraging others to see it. Right? If you go watch a film and you walk out with a cool, every everyone's dead getting old sucks you're maybe not going to recommend that film to your neighbor uh but it's possible that if something ends better okay it does better so i I think there's a mass appeal piece to it uh and and certainly it's possible to make not necessarily a a political statement but you have the ability to speak to what's happening culturally at the time as well so so when you make these type of updates that's possible so that's one option unfortunately i think the second option is that m night Shyamalan is soft at this point you could have made a, a much more impactful statement if everyone had died, if time just continued, if there wasn't a good explanation, or even if the, there was an explanation, but that explanation happened separately off the beach. Uh, 
that that could have all been a thing. Ultimately, the the reasoning we're given is a moral quandary, right? Uh, but because you know the twist doesn't happen till the very end, there's no time to explore the um. And saying really the, the word twist is is a bit of a overstatement. Maybe not twist, but we know that we know within the first five minutes of the film, <clears throat> and then we're continuously told again and again, right. That this resort is owned by a um, a uh, pharmacist, a pharmaceutical yeah. company, not pharmacist. Pharma- yeah. So we assume this is research related, and everybody's fed these weird looking drinks. So and then there the are f- cameras placed all around the outskirts <laughs> of the top of this. Like, literally, it- within just a few minutes, it's very clear that okay, well, this they're obviously being fed something that's going to cause this to happen or whatever pharmaceutical it's research like you can piece that together before anybody makes it to the beach uh and then at the end of the movie it was it's research that that's what it is um but the idea the the moral tension is that this research could be saving hundreds of thousands of people so you know we kill eight people or 12 people how many it is but we save a hundred thousand and so then that's that's suddenly a it's a quandary it's a quagmire but because we're not given that till the last five minutes of the film, we have no time. Like, I guess technically it could recontextualize everything we've just seen. Except, though, except I don't even consider it a moral quandary because they state the moral dilemma and then answer it immediately. Like, yeah. they, they literally, within the, same, within the same speech, and it's a literal speech that one man makes to the team of researchers, within that... Within that speech, they both speak out loud the moral dilemma and without giving us an opportunity to be like, oh, I can see they're researching in an effort to do this. No, they say it and then immediately say, but here's why it's okay. And then they say that too. So it's like, like, stop stop spoon feeding everything through this movie. You lose all reason for us to even be here. (laughs) You are not given any opportunity in the film to think for yourself. You're yeah. not given any opportunity after the film to think for yourself. I think M. Night Shyamalan was soft. I think he should have killed everybody. I think it should have been an R rating. I think he should have explored these themes. But like you said, talk a lot less. Let everything Show that's a happening lot more. speak for itself. Absolutely. Uh, then it could have been a very captivating film. But instead, very, very, very weak. I don't recommend this film to anyone. Normally, mm-hmm. I would say something along the lines of, you know, I, you know, if, if you've seen the preview and it seems like your style of film, then you should watch it. You know who you are, this and that. No, I just flat out do not recommend this film to anybody. I think it is a bad film. Save your money. Even if you're like, because someone's out there going like, well, I'm an M. Night Shyamalan fan. I, I, I need to go see this film. I think if you're an M. Night Shyamalan fan, you shouldn't see this film. Because I think at the end of the day, it did for me anyway. I lost some respect for, I lost some respect for the the kind of art that he can put out. I remember all of his other films and the effect they had on me. I didn't always like all of his other films, but at least I could get on board with, oh, that felt like an artistic move, or oh, that felt like a whatever. Um, this didn't have that. This felt like it was completely devoid of, of any of that stuff that, that feels like M. Night Shyamalan. It feels like he bought into his own, like he drank his own Kool-Aid, and this is a much more uh, diluted version of what you would have gotten from him 10 years ago. 
Yeah, and any moral or any deeper understanding or any um, m- deeper meaning that people try to draw from this, um, everything I've read so far that people have tried to pull from this, I, I a seventh grader could regurgitate the same bullshit. There is no deeper. There are no deeper layers to this film. <laughs> there right. is nothing else there. Uh, it is unless it is. he is a true genius, and we are fully missing it. And that's what we said last night when we were driving away. You said, "What if it was intended to be a comedy? Then the joke is on us. And then, okay, I can be on board with that. If he really did <laughs> intend for it to be a comedy, then yeah, sure. But but other than that, in, if there's any other explanation besides this, really is supposed to be a comedy, and we bought into the hype of it being terrifying, then if it's not that, then this movie is does not have anything worth seeing. I have more gripes with individual things in the film, but I'll save those. So if anybody yeah. does, God forbid, watch the film and want to talk about more, I'll be happy to share more specific gripes, either about timeline or the way it works or Things whatever. that just show up. Like we didn't, so we did say some spoilery themes, but we didn't actually go into the details of some of the spoilers. So if you still want to see the film after all of this, you're not going to go in knowing everything that happens because we didn't actually get very explicit. We are much less explicit than he is <laughs> in this film. So, <laughs> And I still being, feel like we gave a lot away. <laughs> I know, I know. So we gave more away than we would have even wanted from the filmmaker, and he gave us way more. So, But we're going to go ahead and call this episode done. You can find show notes and links on all the stuff uh, over at mof1.network, as well as a whole bunch of things. You can purchase things. You can listen to old episodes from the archive, hundreds of them. Uh, and you can check out our socials on there as well. Join the conversation on Slack, uh, mof1.network slash Slack, or uh, you can become a patron, patreon.com slash mof1podcast. Check out mof1 on YouTube over at youtube.com slash mof1podcast, where you can find uh, Dungeons and & Designers and the Drawing Board. Lots of good stuff. Tons of content out there. Uh, we're going to roll our dice uh, off air because Lauren is the keeper of the dice. And so uh, stay tuned to next week when she will be back uh, and we will have new categories and new topics to talk about. But for now, we're going to jump out of this episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Patrick. Peace out. Get out of here. <laughs>